You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Haggai gave a message in chapter 1 that encouraged God's people to get back to work, back to work rebuilding the temple. And now we come to chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with the people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the, the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Most of you know what a marathon is. A marathon is a 26-mile long-distance foot race. But, but maybe you don't know where the name marathon comes from. Uh, the name marathon comes from the legend of a man named Philippides. Philippides was a, a Greek messenger who in 490 B.C. was taking part in the Battle of Marathon, which was a, a battle between Greece and Persia. And, and during this battle, Philippides noticed that a, a Persian vessel, so an enemy vessel, 
was, was moving toward Athens, Greece, just as the Greek army was about to win the victory. And, and Philippides thought to himself that this Persian vessel might try to come into the city of Athens and claim that they, the Persians, had won the victory and not the Greeks. And so Philippides thought to himself, what I need to do is I need to run to the city of Athens and I need to beat the Persians there and let the people in Athens know that the, that the Greeks, that we have actually won the victory. And so that's what he did. Philippides started running all the way back to Athens without stopping. He even threw down his weapons. He took off all of his clothing so that nothing would weigh him down. Well, he got to Athens having run 26 miles and he announced to the people of Athens that the battle was almost over, that the Greeks had won. Now, unfortunately, right after announcing that, Philippides collapsed and died. But but that's where a marathon gets its name from, from Philippides in the Battle of Marathon running 26 miles to to tell his people that they had won the victory. Now, I have never run a marathon before. I I subscribe to what someone once said to me who said, I run only when I'm being chased. Some of you have run long-distance races. Marathon runners will tell you, most of them anyway, that there's a a certain point in the race, usually about the 20-mile mark, where you hit a wall, where you feel like, After 20 miles of running, you you just can't go any further. Now, maybe you've never run a marathon before. Maybe you've never run any long-distance race. But have you, at some point in your life, feel like you've hit a wall? Have you, at some point in your life, feel like, I just can't go any further? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's uh, in raising your children. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's your service in the church. You've hit a wall. You're tired. You're you're discouraged. You you feel like you're running on empty, and, and you say to yourself, I don't know if I can go any longer. I bring all of this up because this is how God's people were feeling in this chapter. They felt like they couldn't go any further. After 70 years of of captivity in Babylon, God's people had returned to Jerusalem. Eventually, after some initial apathy, we saw this last week, they they got back to the work. They started rebuilding the temple and the city. But we all know how it can be. Um, The work is hard. We, we We don't seem to be making a whole lot of progress. And we start to get discouraged. We start to lose our zeal. Again, maybe that's happened to you at some point in your life. That's what's happening here in chapter 2. And so Haggai comes to the people and he proclaims to them God's word so that they would be encouraged, so that they would be strengthened, so that they would continue on with the work. And it's these messages, three messages that that Haggai gives here in chapter 2 that we want to look at this morning. The first one is found in verses 1 through 9. The second one is found in verses 10 through 19. And the second one is, or the third one is found in verses 20 through 23. God, through Haggai, encouraging his discouraged people. 
And I love it that God doesn't say to his people, really, you've stopped working again. You were just apathetic one chapter ago, and now you're discouraged. I'm done with you. God didn't do that to his people in Haggai's day. And he doesn't do that to us either. When, when we are discouraged, when we feel like we've hit the wall, when we feel like giving up, when we feel like we can't go any further, God comes to us in his word in order to encourage us. The first message, again, is found in verses 1 through 9. Now, as I told you last week, the book of Haggai is full of timestamps. And it helps us kind of to see the flow of events. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 1, you'll find the first timestamp. Haggai comes to the people on the first day of the sixth month, and he calls them to get back to work. And now, if you drop down to chapter 1, verse 15, you will see that on the 24th day of that same month, so 23 days later, they finally get back to work. Well, now, as we come to chapter 2, we find that Haggai delivers his first message of this chapter on the 21st day of the seventh month. So a little less than a month after the people started working again. Now this is an important date. The 21st day of the seventh month was no insignificant day in Israel. The 21st day of the seventh month is when Israel would be celebrating one of their annual feasts, specifically what's known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Children, do you know uh, what the Feast of Tabernacles was? The Feast of Tabernacles was this this week-long celebration to remember how God had provided for his people in the past. Uh, Specifically, how he had provided for them when they were wandering in the wilderness out of coming out of Egypt. And, and during this time, they, they did something very interesting. What they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles is instead of living in their own homes, they would build shelters outside made out of tree branches. And, and they would live in those shelters for seven days. Again, it was a a very visible way to remember how God had provided for their ancestors as they wandered through the wilderness. Well, in the midst of this celebration, in the midst of remembering how God always provides for his people, God comes to his discouraged people through the prophet Haggai. They've started rebuilding the temple. It's been about a month. But notice what's going on if you look at verse 3. Who is left among you? who saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The idea here is that that there were some people in Haggai's day who had been alive before the temple had been destroyed. In other words, they they had seen Solomon's temple in all of its splendor before the Babylonians came in and destroyed it. Solomon's temple took about seven years to build. It was an amazing, an amazing work of architecture. No expense was spared in its construction. You can read about this in, in 1 Kings 5 and 6. In fact, Solomon's temple was, was so ornate, it was so detailed, that, that experts estimate that if this same building was built today, it would cost around $5 billion to build the temple. 
for comparison's sake, uh, the Chase Center, which is where the Golden State Warriors play, that costs $1.4 billion to build. So this is a, a, an, amazing, an amazing structure. Half of the known gold supply in the ancient world was in that building. In, in today's dollars, there were $150 million worth of gold in the temple. Again, an amazing building. When it was dedicated in 953 BC, the dedication ceremony was so massive that it included an offering of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. And, and when that was over, Solomon then proclaimed a 14-day feast. This wasn't some you know, little building that they slapped together as cheaply as possible to get it done. This was a, a wonder to behold. And now when, when Haggai is giving his message here at the beginning of chapter 2, he's speaking to some people who remember that temple. They, they remember the, the splendor of Solomon's temple before the Babylonians came in and destroyed it. And, and as they were rebuilding it, there were in all likelihood some people who were saying, this is nothing compared to what it used to be. And so they became discouraged. They were, they were thinking, we've been working on this for months, but, but we should face the fact that it's never, ever going to look like the old temple. It's just not the same and it won't ever be the same. You ever feel like that? With something in your life? It's just never going to be the same. There might be some of us this morning who, who kind of feel that way, kind of feel like the people of Haggai's day. There might be some of us thinking that in regards to our church. Zion's not the same. It's not the same as it was five years ago. In fact, it's not even the same as it was 25 years ago when we first started this church. You know how it is when you, when you start a church. Many of you, some of you were here when it started and, and there's an initial energy, initial excitement. Everybody's working together. Everybody's involved setting up and, and doing all that needs to be done. And you might think to yourself this morning, this just isn't the same. And you're discouraged. Maybe we look at other churches and we become discouraged. When, when I was on vacation a few weeks ago, we, we attended a fairly large church, had an attendance, attendance of probably, I'm guessing, 1,500 people. And, and this was a church that, that started with seven families 20 years ago as a Bible study. And now they're ministering to 1,500 people. And it might be easy for us to, to look at a church like that and say to ourselves, I wish we could be like that. What does the Lord say to us when we are discouraged? What does the Lord say to us when we are downcast, when we are longing for something in the past? Well, you'll notice in this first message that Haggai gives here in chapter 2, God tells us two things as we deal with discouragement. First of all, he says to us, get to work knowing that the Lord is with you. Notice some of the language of verse 4. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Work. If we are discouraged, if we are disappointed, if we are wishing that, that things were different, the solution is not inactivity. 
The solution is not to give up. The solution is not indifference. The solution is not to long for the good old days. Brothers and sisters, the solution, the Bible says, is to get to work. The solution is to be proactive. The solution is to move forward. We stand at the edge this morning of a, of a new beginning for Zion in a very real sense. And I, I don't know about all of you, but I'm very excited about this. My commitment is to move us forward for the sake of the gospel. Not to live in the past, not to stay stuck in the present, but to move us forward for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his gospel. I'm very excited about the future of this congregation. And we shouldn't shy away from the work. We, we shouldn't shy away from attempting hard things for the sake of God's kingdom. It might not be easy. It might stretch us. But, but what we do here has lasting, eternal consequences. Isn't it exciting that, that God would see fit to use us for the sake of his kingdom? Now here's the thing we have to remember, and our passage reminds us of this. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't. If we try to do that, we're, we're just going to fail. And that's why what God says here is so important. You look at the end of verse 4. God says, work, for I am with you. End of verse 5. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God is with us. Do we believe that? God is with us. And, and brothers and sisters, we can, we can work, we can get involved, we can serve, we can move forward knowing that the Lord is with us. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives what we know as the Great Commission. Many of you are familiar with these words. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's our commission. That's our task. And it's a big task. Make disciples of all nations. Disciple them. Train them. Teach them. Are we up for that task in and of ourselves? No, we're not. But Jesus' commission doesn't end there, does it? He goes on at the end of that and he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you are discouraged, if you are thinking, you know, it's just not the same as it used to be, first of all, remember that we are in a spiritual battle. God hasn't promised his church a smooth sailing existence. We can expect Satan to fight. We can expect Satan to fight with all of his might. We know that Satan hates the gospel. We can expect Satan to try to divide us and discourage us and even destroy us. But, but secondly, let God's promise here re-energize you if you need that. He's with us. And, and in his strength, we can be 
Again, some of the people were saying, this thing we're working on, it's not as good. It'll never be as good. This temple will never be as good as the last one. Solomon's temple was way better. It was way more beautiful. We can't compete with that. But, but here God is saying, ultimately, it's not about the earthly temple. Ultimately, it's about something much greater, something much greater that is coming. And this is fulfilled in two ways. First of all, this is fulfilled in Jesus. In, in Jesus, a, a greater glory than the glory of the temple came to this earth. You remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, John says this about Jesus. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus himself referred to his body as a temple, as the temple in John chapter 2. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the earthly temple. And when he ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit upon us. You know what that means? It means God has made his dwelling place in us not in some earthly structure but in all of his people how much how much richer and how much greater is his dwelling with us now than it was in the old testament and so when we are discouraged when when life is hard when ministry is hard we we are to look at the glory of god in the gospel the, the good news that Jesus lived for us and died for us, the good news that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, the good news that he will strengthen us in our service because of Christ. And secondly, these verses in Haggai are fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth. We, we looked at this a few weeks ago in Revelation. Revelation 21 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Yeah, we get discouraged at times. Yeah, we are downcast at times. But the fulfillment of the earthly temple in the new heavens and the new earth remind us that this is where we are headed. This is where we are going. And what we do for Christ and for his kingdom on this earth, even though it may be hard, even though it may be difficult, even though we may want to give up, the work that we do for his kingdom will never be in vain. And so that's Haggai's first message. His second message is about two months later. At this point, the people have been rebuilding for about three months, and Haggai comes with another word of encouragement. At first, this is kind of confusing. Notice what happens in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. 
So, so here's the picture. You, you've, got a, you've got a guy who's carrying a holy piece of meat, probably, probably leftovers from some kind of food offering in the temple. And, and it touches some, some ordinary bread. Does that ordinary bread, by virtue of touching holy meat, does that ordinary bread become holy? And the answer the priests give is no. No plain, ordinary bread doesn't become holy just by touching holy meat. Now you might go, this is why I don't read the Old Testament. I don't get that. Why is this here? Well, the point that God is making here is very simple, and that is this. Outward religion cannot save. Outward religion cannot save. You you see, the people may be thinking in Haggai's day that by getting back to the work of rebuilding the temple, that that was their ticket to being right with God. That, that God was only concerned about their outward obedience, their outward acts of dedication, that that's all God cared about. And they had failed to see that, that God wants all of them. God wants their heart, not just their outward actions. There are countless people today in our world who think like this who think that they can turn to religion, they can turn to their good works, that they can use their church attendance or or service in a church to get them to heaven. But that fails to realize something. That fails to realize that our problem is, is much deeper than that. Our problem is so deep and so pervasive that merely involving ourselves with outward service, outward religion, cannot change us. Our our problem is is that we are sinners by nature. Our problem is that we cannot change ourselves. Jeremiah 13, 23, some of you are familiar with these words. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. There's only one who can change us. There's only one who can free us from our sin. There's only one who can make us right with God. There is only one who can bring us to heaven. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, true man and true God. And and so as we think about new beginnings for our church, as we seek to to move forward, let's remember that that it's not our hard work, it's not our selfless service that makes us right with God. That, That God doesn't just want our outward actions. He doesn't just want our outward devotion and acts of service and serving other people. He wants all of us. He wants our hearts. And he is reminding us that that you can do nothing to change yourself. Merely touching something that is holy, merely being involved in a church will not make you right with God. 
And this is what we sing in in our hymn. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. If you're here this morning and you think that by attending church or by growing up in a Christian home, or going to a Christian school, or or touching something that is Christian, that that will bring you to heaven. You are wrong. The Bible says you are wrong. Outward religion cannot save. Merely attending church cannot save. Serving in the church cannot save, as good as those things are. Just being around Christians cannot save. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. And this is the message that we must believe and this is the message we must take out into our communities. And then we we serve and we labor out of gratitude for the Lord's grace to us and we do it in his strength. And what is our motive for doing so? What is our motive for for moving ahead? What is our motive for getting back to work? What is the motive for, for going forward with the ministry here at Zion? Is it to make a name for ourselves? Is it to say, look, we can do it? No, that's not our motive. It must never be our motive. Our motive is to bring glory to Christ. Our motive is to honor him. And so that's Haggai's second message. His third message is on the same day as his second message, and and this time it's specifically for Zerubbabel. Children, do you know who Zerubbabel was? Zerubbabel was the uh, governor of Judah. He was, he was probably just a, a puppet at this point, a figurehead. He was the grandson of a man named Jehoiachin, who was the second to last king of Judah. And God tells Zerubbabel that a day of judgment is coming. If you look at the language, verses 21 and 22, it talks about the heavens and the earth being shaken. It talks about thrones being overthrown. It talks about the strength of nations being destroyed. This is talking about the day when Jesus returns. This is talking about the day that that we were looking at all throughout the book of Revelation, that that one day Christ will come back. And one day judgment will come upon this world. Now how does that encourage us this morning? Well, two ways. First of all, it's encouraging to know that the spiritual battle that we are in will not last forever. One day it will be over. And secondly, it's encouraging to know that that we are working for eternal things. We are working for things that will last forever. And so parents, when you lead your children in family worship or family devotions, you are doing something that will pay eternal dividends. When you work in the nursery at church, when you teach Sunday school, when you reach out to offer an encouraging word to some fellow member here at Zion, you are engaging in eternal work. And that's what we need to hear. We've faced some challenges in the last few years. We're not the first church to face challenges, and we won't be the last. We're not the first church to be discouraged. We're not the first church where we say, 
I want to give up. All three of Haggai's messages in this chapter are meant for us. All three should encourage us. We can work hard. We can serve. We can move forward. We can be excited because we know God is with us. And if God is with us, if God is for us, who can be against us? We can work hard, we can serve, we can move forward with joy and with gratitude because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us and saving us from eternal damnation and saving us from sin and giving us eternal life. We can now say, Lord, it is my joy to serve others and to move forward with what you call me to do. And we can work hard and we can serve and we can move forward with an eternal perspective in mind. We are serving a cause and we are serving a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This past week, I read an article. The author of this article said that there are, there are basically three types of churches. He said, first of all, there is the courageous church. Second, there is the cowardly church. And third, there is the complicit church. Complicit refers to those churches that have rejected the truth of God's word. They have turned their backs on orthodoxy and turned their backs on sound theology. Cowardly refers to those churches that that may be orthodox and may be sound in their doctrine but are afraid to move forward. They're stuck in the past. They're fearful of the future. Courageous refers to those churches that are trusting God and that are moving forward, believing that, that he will use them to accomplish his purposes in this world. Which church is Zion? Are we complicit? I don't think so. Are we cowardly? Afraid to move forward? Or are we courageous? Do we say to ourselves this morning, God's message for Haggai and for the people all the way back then is his message for us. And the message is, I am with you. I will use you. I will strengthen you. My spirit is among you. I will use you in this world. I will use you in this community. Go work. For I am with you. May we be a courageous church. In the words of this book, be strong, you people of Zion. Work knowing that the Lord is with you. Knowing that his spirit is in our midst. And when he is with us, no one and nothing can be against us. And so may we trust him and may we look to him and may we depend upon him and may we move forward knowing that the Lord is with us. Let's bow in prayer. 
If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.